James Kennedy Ministries presents Truths That Transform. America seems so divided now that the gap seems impossible to cross. But is it? We got to stop because every time we got a problem, the solution is less and less of your freedom. Less and less of your freedom away. I want to be free. I need, I need to be free and you want to be free also. Meet someone who was enmeshed in race, hatred, and leftist ideology, and who was delivered out of it, into the truth, on today's Truths That Transform. Welcome to Truths That Transform, a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. The corporate media is committed to making you feel marginalized. That is, if you hold traditional Christian beliefs, they want you to think you are only one of a small handful of radicals who believe what you do, so that they can silence you and neutralize you. But in an age in which lies are virtually the atmosphere we breathe, even one person telling the truth can have a huge impact on their community. On today's program, you will meet one of those truth tellers, and we will share with you some vital resources that will show you how to move forward with hope and confidence in America in the year of 2022. We begin by introducing you to a self-described Berkeley militant who had imbibed the campus culture of radical grievances that had grown into what we now know as critical race theory. He even joined the militant Black Panthers. But the truth broke through and changed him. Here's our own Dr. Jerry Newcomb with more. I was raised in St. Louis, Missouri. We call it St. Louis, Missouri. And it was, it was a, a comfortable home. I had a big home, big family, a lot of friends, a lot of relatives. My father, my grandfather was a minister. We stayed in the parks next door. We were in that church every day for whatever program was going on. My brother and I stayed busy. We, we, we saw godly men before, during, and after church. And I knew who God was. And uh, what I saw stuck with me even when I left the home I went in the military. When he was 21 years old, Mason Weaver began a promising career in the Navy in the early 1970s. But a harrowing incident nearly crippled him forever. I ran across people who didn't love God. And I ran across a racist shipmate who hated me. And I knew what hatred was, but I didn't know he hated me. I thought he was just a competitor, not an enemy. He was a white racist on the ship, and I was a black racist on the ship. And every day we have debates. We have a debate about black, white America. And I was getting the best of him. To me, it was just playtime. I didn't take him seriously. One day, I had to fly to San Francisco, and I was ordered to give this man my work crew, all black crew, black militants. Here's a white racist going to take off my work crew. They would kill him. And the ship knew that. So I decided to lay out the work ahead of time and give everybody the assignments so that he could just come in and supervise. He didn't want to help me. I was his superior by two months. So I ordered him. The room was empty, just me and two other supervisors, him, another black guy. 
I need to help bring the steel plate out to lay out the work for everybody. So I ordered him to help control that steel. I put my enemy in charge of 2,800 pounds and he took the opportunity to push it over on me. And I saw him, do, I saw him put his shoulder to it. I saw him push it. I turned to run as he did it. And, I, and, and as I ran, it hit me on my left hip, crushed my hip, my ribs, and I screamed. And opened my eyes up after I, as I was screaming, I saw the look of pure hatred in his eyes. I looked right in his eyes and I saw that, the look, the hatred. I've been to Vietnam, but I've never seen a man look at another man that way before. That look he had in his eyes stayed with me for years, that look of utter contempt. When I got hurt, I went to Balboa Hospital in San Diego. They told my mother that, you know, get to the hospital from St. Louis because I wasn't going to make it. His spleen was torn. There was a fracture to his pelvic, pelvis. Uh, there, was a, there was a possible fracture or swelling of his spine. Uh, there was something wrong with his leg. I was the healthiest man in my high school. And now all of a sudden, I couldn't even swallow. I couldn't breathe on my own, I couldn't speak on my own, I couldn't do anything. My whole body stopped functioning. My vocal cords, the vibrations hurt my back. After a long and painful treatment, Mason was finally released from the hospital. However, the Navy classified his injuries as permanent and discharged him from the service. At the time, Mason had only one goal in mind, to confront the shipmate who had tried to kill him my goal in life was to take my arms, my hands around his neck, and and squeeze that look up his face. Um, uh, it's it my only goal in life. Uh, I was going to go to jail uh, for murder. If, if I saw him in front of the police department, I was going. I was going to go for. Wherever I lay, my eyes were again. For months, Mason unsuccessfully tried to find his white shipmate. Meanwhile, he was confronted with the physical obstacles he would have to live with and the realities of an uncertain future. I found in my life uneducated. I was a high school dropout. I, I couldn't get a job. My career in the Navy was over, untrained, uneducated, and very much unmotivated. In the middle of his struggle, Mason enrolled in a prominent school in Northern California. He moved in with one of his relatives and began a difficult journey in brokenness and pain. I'm going to Berkeley to learn how to make money because I couldn't work. I had a broken back, busted hips. I couldn't walk. I was on drugs and the medication they were giving me. I had to go to Berkeley every other day. And I had to decide if I was going to go on drugs or go drug-free and be in pain. Either way, you have to decide what kind of day is it. And it was a conflict. Mason Weaver became consumed with hate against all white people, and he was active with the Black Panthers. I went to Berkeley with 35,000 white students, didn't I know one of their names. I was so angry. I was military. I spoke Swahili instead of Spanish. It took Spanish you know, in California. I, I speak Swahili. I, I, I just, my anger was poisoning my future, and I didn't know it. If you're emotional, you're moving toward the darkness. I'm emotional. I'm, white man got me down. We've we done all the hoorah, and I started, the minute I started thinking. And, and the thought pattern came by observing by looking. Everything that black men think we can do, people, women selling dope, rap music, basketball, football, in spite of white folks not liking it, we still dominate. So it seems to me that my success is whatever the heck I feel like I want to do. So what if I feel like I want to own a business? Who's going to stop me? What if I feel like I want to be married for 35 years? Who's going to stop me? 
the only power, maybe the only power strong enough to stop me is me. As Mason began to rethink his whole life and his worldview, childhood memories of the Christian upbringing began to nudge his conscience. So I started looking at the only two men I knew that I respected. I didn't, you know, my stepfather and I did not get along, but I respected him. Uh, I respected his, his faith. He acted like he believed in God. He acted like it. So I went back to look at what they were doing, what, what drove them. What drove my, my grandfather, who went from poor church to poor church to poor church and built them up. So I started looking and searching. It came down to the disciples. It came down to, the, to those people who spent the time with him and saw him die and saw him resurrect. And all you do is look at their lifestyle before and after. Something happened, something in their life that they saw and they witnessed changed their entire personality. All of a sudden, these jealous, cowardly followers of Christ became bold citizens for Christ, went to separate parts of the world and said, kill me, I saw the bark out of the grave. I don't care what you say. I saw this. And their lifestyle made me start double, double checking. And I had to decide if, in fact, I was going to believe that the creator of the universe who made everything we see was born a woman on purpose to redeem me back personally. That the creator of the universe <laughs> decided that I was to be loved enough to allow sinful men to manhandle him. Ungodly men to manhandle God Almighty, to, to beat him for me, thinking about me, me personally by name. He, he decided that I was going to be worthy enough, his love was worthy enough to redeem me back to him. That, that, that the creator of the universe allowed his precious blood to soak that cross, thinking about me by name personally. That he, he went to that grave for me, preached to those who had believed in him that he was here, led them out of the grave, that he went to heaven for me, to build a place for me. Mason Weaver has used his experiences to inspire others through his book entitled, It's Okay to Leave the Plantation. And today he's a motivational speaker who addresses racial issues and the transforming power of the gospel. We got to stop, because every time we got a problem, the solution is less and less of your freedom. Less and less of your freedom away. I want to be free. I need, I need to defend your right to be free also. When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and forgave that white guy, then God forgave me. If you forgive your trespassers, God will forgive you yours. So when he forgave, all that anger left me, that hatred left me. Um, I forgot the man's face now. I can't think of what he looks like now. Um, I, I mean, I knew he had black hair. I forget his name sometimes. Uh, it's gone. The anger is gone. If I saw him again, I would still embrace him, but I would embrace him and tell him about Jesus Christ, the real Savior. Mason Weaver's heart was changed by Christ, and he came to reject race-based hatred and has instead become a powerful advocate for truth in a nation that desperately needs it. His message is impacting people all over America. You may look at the state of your nation and feel hopeless. You may think, 
I'm only one person. What can I possibly do to change things? The answer is much more than you may think. Dr. D. James Kennedy explains in his message, what can one person do? What can one person do? That's a question that I hope all of you will be asking yourselves. You remember Paul, as he was on his way, crossing the desert, was stopped by the Lord, the blazing light, he was thrown from his horse, and trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And I believe that any of us whose hearts are truly open to the Lord and his will for our lives can do that. Return to your city, search his word, go to him in prayer, wait upon him, and he will tell you what you must do. We have a world that's full of problems today. Of course, it seems to be full of problems most of the time, doesn't it? Whether it's war, we've got that, or whether it is natural disasters, we've got those. Whether it is immorality, that is certainly here in spades, as they say. Whether it is inflation or depression or whatever it might be, it seems that there's always problems. And why do we have so many problems and what can we do about them? I would like to suggest to you today two things, which I believe are uniformly the cause of our problems and also contain the solution. And those are the two great mandates that God has given to us. The first one is called the cultural mandate. It's not as well known, but it's found in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 128. And there God told Adam and Eve that they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and uh, have lordship over it all, take care of it. And uh, that is what we are to do. This is my father's world, we sing, and God should get the praise. And yet, does he? Is it uh, God who gets the praise from our culture, our world? Our television, our radio, our motion pictures, only rarely, it's usually the devil who is getting the praise for what he does, and God is mostly left out. Christ is more than that, left out. And so how can we bring Christ back into this world, into his world? He has all but been evicted from his own world. Somebody asked when uh, a fire broke out in a school, where was God? Someone replied, you excommunicated him, you threw him out a year ago, don't you remember? That's where he was, not wanted. And unfortunately, that's where he often has been. Too often, people are told that we're not to get involved in our culture. 
whether they're talking about politics or whether they're talking about communications or the arts. This is to be left to unbelievers and Christians are not to involve themselves. I remember 20 years ago, a lady asked me, do you think Christians should get involved in politics? And I responded, of course not. We should leave it all to the unbelievers. Otherwise, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. And we would really rather complain than do something, wouldn't we? And unfortunately, there's more truth to that than we would like to admit. And so we should be involved in every sphere of our life and culture and not leave it to anyone else. But we should do that in order that God may get the glory from his own creation instead of what we often see. The second great command that God has given to us is his last command, and that is that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. As we know, that's called the Great Commission. And it was the last thing Christ said. In fact, he repeated it four times at the ends of three of the Gospels and the first of the book of Acts, that we are to preach the gospel to every creature. That is what we're to do. I remember the fictional story that I think says that very well. And in this story, Christ ascends back into heaven after his crucifixion and his resurrection. And uh, all of the angels and archangels are gathered together to hear the report of his great adventure down here. And so Christ tells them all about his birth in a manger, his childhood in a carpenter's shop, what he had done, his way of work, his call into ministry, his teaching, his gathering together of his apostles, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and how he had told them to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature that because through this and only through this could people find forgiveness and eternal salvation. Well, one of the younger angels, and there really aren't any, or smaller angels, and there probably aren't any, because all of the angels were made at one time, unlike human beings who came along seriatim. And so one of the younger angels raised his hand and said, Lord, what if, what if they don't do that? What if they don't go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? What other plan do you have? And I hope you'll not forget this. Jesus said, I have no other plan. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that hit me very hard first time I ever heard it. Which is to say, folks, it's all up to us, not to anybody else. We are the only plan that God has. Plan A, very true. And I believe that God's plan will succeed and that we will reach the world.
And I would say to you, forget what all the rest of these people, people here may or may not do and all over the country. The question is, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Will you then do it? We so easily want to pass the buck and leave it to somebody else to accomplish it. But I believe that Christians are waking up. I believe they're getting involved. I believe that they're multiplying in numbers and those numbers are getting involved not only in evangelism but in the cultural mandate of impacting every facet of our society. Dr. Kennedy saw more clearly than just about anyone else the effects that secular leftism was having on America. And Dr. Kennedy was right. Christians are waking up now and getting involved. The radical left is working overtime to rewrite American history and sever us from our Christian roots. But Christians have the truth on their side. It's more necessary now than ever that we know those truths, defend those truths, and share them with our children and grandchildren who will likely not hear them in public schools. But we have a powerful solution, and we want to send it to you today in thanks for your generous gift. Historian Dr. Jerry Newcomb gives you an inside look at the men and ideas which built our great nation in his book, In the Footsteps of Giants, Solutions from the Founders for a Nation Gone Astray. In it, he reveals long-suppressed truths about the Christian foundations of America. In his book, Dr. Newcomb, one of the foremost authors on the Christianity of the Founding Fathers, takes you on a guided tour of what America's founders say about crucial issues facing us today. In it, you'll discover the Founders' blueprint for American greatness under God. And if you're able to give a generous donation of $60 or more, we will send you the book, plus our brand new DVD documentary, Reasons for Hope, Why the Battle for Freedom Isn't Over. If you're looking for hope, here it is. This just-produced program features encouraging insights from Gary Bauer, Erwin Lutzer, Lila Rose, and numerous other experts and activists on the front lines of the battle to roll back cultural Marxism and recapture our freedoms. In Reasons for Hope, you'll see an up-to-the-minute analysis of how God's prescription for healing the land is working, giving you reasons for hope for the future. This special program contains both hope-filled facts for the fight we are in and encouraging stories showing you that the tide is turning and God's truth is winning. That's the book, In the Footsteps of Giants, Solutions from the Founders for a Nation Gone Astray by Dr. Jerry Newcomb as our thanks for your generous donation. And the book plus the brand new DVD special, Reasons for Hope, Why the Battle for Freedom Isn't Over to which we've added bonus material and exclusive features, all as our thanks for your generous donation of $60 or more. And as you donate, you are helping us to produce and broadcast 
culture-changing, biblically-based programs, and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gain hope as you respond today. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 877-962-7677. Or go online to djkm.org. Recently, late-night TV host Stephen Colbert complained that the Senate is, quote, the most anti-democratic institution next to the judiciary and recommended abolishing it. Colbert and many on the left are peeved that President Joe Biden cannot seem to ram sweeping radical legislation through an evenly divided Senate. In the Senate, legislation has to demonstrate bipartisan support by garnering 60 votes to avoid the filibuster. Joe Biden's party has no bipartisan support for its radical agenda, so they've decided to change the rules. Sadly, this is nothing more than an exercise in cynical hypocrisy. Here's how one politician rightly described efforts to abolish the filibuster. Quote, the ideologues in the Senate want to turn what the founding fathers called the cooling saucer of democracy into the rubber stamp of dictatorship. We will not let them. They want to change the rules in midstream to wash away 200 years of history. They want to make this country into a banana republic where if you don't get your way, you change the rules. Now, surprisingly, those words came from Senate Democratic Majority Leader Chuck Schumer back in 2005 when his party was in the minority. Now he's trying to do the very thing he railed against. Here's another statesman for you, speaking in defense of the filibuster. Quote, at its core, the filibuster is not about stopping a nominee or a bill. It's about compromise and moderation. Let's set the historical record straight. Never has the Senate provided for a certainty that 51 votes could put someone on the bench or pass legislation. And those words... They are from the facile mind of then-Senator Joe Biden, also in 2005. These days, however, Mr. Biden calls the filibuster that he defended during his entire Senate career something on par with Jim Crow laws. This sort of cynical demagoguery depends on the ignorance of the audience to be successful. Only a populace with true knowledge of civics and history one that hasn't been ravaged by falsehoods from leftist educators, will be equipped to stand for the institutions of freedom in America. As a Christian, you have a duty to see to it that your children and grandchildren are among them. So far, the big government socialists have not had their way. But in Washington, D.C., it's never wise to turn your back on the mendacious. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for being with us. Here's a look at the next truths that transform. God is a God of hope. 
He's not changed. He's not surprised about this issue. He's not caught off guard. And we as Christians need to rest in his sovereignty on this issue and anchor our lives on his scriptures. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.